It's a surprise to me because I plan out um, sermon series usually in June every year for the next year. And so in June, I sit down in 2017 and I'll plan out 2018. And this is a series that was not on my calendar um, because we weren't sure when this process was going to fall. And so I made up the preaching calendar and it didn't include this series. And so it was one that I just kind of crammed in here. And I've heard a lot of series before on elders and shepherding, but I, I really wanted to do something with this that I hope would be a blessing to our church wherever you are. And so before you just check out and say, well, we're going to talk about um, a shepherding series, and this not, really isn't for me, um, I, I want to do this from a different angle. And I really want to talk about the, the principles of leadership that we see from the life of Moses and how that translates to us as a community of faith and believers. And then as we end each week, talk specifically about what this means for us here as we call and appoint men to serve as shepherds over our church. And the reason I think this is applicable to every single person wherever you are is because every single person who is here is a leader in some capacity. And you might think, well, I, I'm not really a leader, but you are. And what I would challenge is your understanding or definition of leadership. My favorite definition of leadership comes from John Maxwell, and it simply says leadership is influence. And everyone has influence over someone. Wherever you are, I believe God has placed you there for a purpose. And my hope over the next several weeks is to help to equip you wherever you are to be a better leader in that place. And there are two types of leaders. And we, we've talked about this on a couple of different occasions, but the first type of leader is a positional leader. It is someone who is given a title of leadership and they have people that follow them. And this would be in our churches, a shepherd, a preacher, a deacon, a ministry leader. These people that we have called out and said, we want you to lead a certain area or a certain group of people. Maybe in the business world, the CEO or the manager or a shift manager. In the community, the mayor, or the city council, student body president. There, there are all these different places where we see this leadership. There's also in the home, a parent a husband, a wife, have these positions they are in where influence comes with the position. But there's another type of leadership that I think hits every single person regardless, and you can be both a positional leader and a life stage leader. And what a life stage leader is, it simply says you are a leader where you are because of when you are. You are a leader where you are because you are the oldest person or you are the oldest child or you have seniority. But because of your life stage, it has positioned you to be a leader. 
And so I am super excited to jump into this series because I think God has some incredible things that he wants to say to you over the next five weeks. But as we begin this series, I'm going to ask, would you please just stand as we read from God's word? Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horab, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had come over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen The misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites. Hivites and Jebusites, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would be in this place. And Father, I pray that you would help me to tell them what you have told me. And Father, I pray that your spirit would work powerfully in this place this morning. Father, we worship you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. If you want to sit down, you can. Or if you want to stand up the whole time, that's okay too. Well, I want to kind of catch you up with the life of Moses to where we're going to begin this part of the story because we're not going to start at the beginning of Moses' life. We're going to kind of jump in here at the burning bush in Midian. But Moses was born in a really tumultuous time in the history of Israel. Um, The Egyptians had the Israelites and they were slaves and they were building cities for another nation. They were making bricks and the Israelites were being oppressed by the Egyptians. And so God has heard their cry and he has come to Moses. 
to talk to Moses and to speak to him. But Moses was born in this really difficult time, and Pharaoh was concerned that the Israelites were increasing in number. And why would a, a Pharaoh be so concerned that they were increasing in number? Well, the problem is if your slaves begin to outnumber your people, your slaves can rise up and revolt against your people. And so Pharaoh decides that he's going to issue this decree, and every baby that is born to an Israelite mother is to be thrown into the river and drowned. And so Moses' mother has Moses, and she takes a basket, and she coats it with tar, and she places it in the river, places Moses in the basket, and Moses is set free. Now, what's really interesting in this story is the word basket here in the Hebrew language is not really the word for basket. It is the Hebrew word tevah. Let me hear you say tevah. And tevah is only used one other time in all of the Old Testament. And the only other time it's used in the Old Testament is the story of Noah in chapter 6 of Genesis where God comes to Noah and he says, I want you to build a tevah and you're going to enter it and inside it you will be saved. The, the first two salvation narratives in our Bible happen when a tevah is used to bring people through the water because of the sin of the world around them. And in Jesus, we have a tevah that brings us through the water and saves the people from their sins. If you are drowning in the world around you, we have a tevah who is there to shelter and hide you from the waters that rage around you. And so, that's free, by the way. That's not even part of the sermon. And so Moses comes through on the other side of the water. And he's raised in Pharaoh's household. He, he's raised with the best education. He's raised with privilege. And one day, he sees an Egyptian beating a fellow Hebrew. And so he takes matters into his own hands and he kills the Egyptian and he hides him in the sand. And then the story says the next day, on the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting and he tries to step in between them and one of the Hebrews calls him out and says, who made you ruler and judge over us? Who made you ruler and judge? Here's verse 14 of chapter 2. The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Now listen to this. Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. Have you ever been there before? What I did must have become known. What I did must have become 
known. The lie that I was living must have become known. The, the secret that I was keeping must have become known. The debts I have acquired must have become known. The life that I was living must have become known. And if you've been there before, you know there is this moment where that feeling in your throat, that lump in your throat, and the anxiety and the feeling in your stomach, and in that moment, you want more than anything to go back in time and just wish that you could take it back. I wish I could go back to that moment and do things differently. I'm sure Moses would love in this moment when he realizes what I have done has been found out. I wish I could go back and handle the situation differently. I wish I could have treated them differently. I wish I could have spoken the truth more plainly. I wish I could go back and change it. But here's the thing, you can't change it. It is your past, and now it is a part of your future. What I did must have become known. You can't change it, reverse it, or forget it. But see, here's the good news. As definite as your past is, it is not the dominant story of your life. As definite as your past is, it does not define who you are. The dominant story of your life is Jesus Christ, his cross and resurrection, and that defines who you are. That is the dominant story. That is what is unchanging. You are not defined by your past because your past is not the dominant story story. It is not the story that you tell. It does not define who you are. See, here's the really difficult part, though. For some of you, it wasn't that what you did has been found out, but it's that what someone else did has been found out. And what someone else did that has been found out has affected you maybe more so than it even did them. And it's so tough to move on from that because it's not your fault. You didn't create it. You didn't move there. You didn't make the decision. You didn't tell the lie. But yet it's a part. And so here's Moses. What I have done must have been found out. And he flees to Midian. And there he meets some shepherdess at a well. One of them is named Zipporah, who is going to become his future wife. And there in Midian, Moses and Zipporah have a son, and they name him Gershom. And the name Gershom in Hebrew means a stranger or foreigner there. So Moses names this child that he has in Midian a stranger or foreigner there because that's what he realizes he is there. He's a stranger or foreigner in that land. But here's the the, the crazy thing about this is even in Egypt, Moses was a stranger and a foreigner there. 
The difference was in Egypt, he had become comfortable with it. In Egypt, he was used to it. Isn't that crazy? That you can become so comfortable in a place that you don't belong, that if you stay there long enough, you will begin to think that is home. See, at first, the lie was just a lie. But the more I told it, the more I lived it, the more it became who I was. To the point I didn't know how to separate myself from it anymore. Or the pornography was no big deal at first. It was just something to pass the time. It was just a little fix. But then it became so much a part of me that it began to define me. It became so obtrusive in my life and I became so comfortable with it that I couldn't see it anymore. Or the anger. Because your eight-year-old son doesn't pick up your Legos out of the living room after eight times of asking him. Someone else I know. But it's possible to live in a place you don't belong so long that you become completely comfortable there. Where is the place in your life that you are called to be a stranger or foreigner to, but you have become so comfortable in that you can no longer separate yourself from? Where is the place that you live that you've kicked off your shoes and put your feet up on the coffee table and you've gotten so comfortable in this sin that even though you know you don't belong there, you're okay with it? And that's where Moses is living. He's in Egypt, he's a stranger, he's a foreigner, and he doesn't even recognize it until he gets to a new place where he is outside of it. And now he says, now I'm a stranger and a foreigner. Moses, you were a stranger and a foreigner in Egypt as well. You did not belong there. You just became comfortable with it. And so Moses makes this move, this transition from the palace to the parched land. From from Pharaoh's palace to the desert from royalty, from everything going right, for having the best of everything, to tending someone else's flock. See, in Egypt, the the lights are on. He's got the stage, and everyone can see him. He's got prominence, and he's got power. And Moses, God speaks to him, not in Egypt... But he speaks to him. On the backside of the desert. He speaks to him where he cannot be seen by other people. He he speaks to him from the shadows of obscurity. 
He speaks to him. And Moses listens. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He's taking care of someone else's flock. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush that was on fire, though it was on fire, did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And I love the way the ESV translates it. It's, I will turn aside that I'm going one direction, but I'm going to stop and go a different direction to see what God is doing, to see what God is saying. And see, here's the problem. On the back side of the desert, you have a little more space. But in Egypt, in Egypt, we got stuff to do. In Egypt, we got bricks to make. In Egypt, we have pyramids to build. In in Egypt, we have someone else's lifestyle to support and maintain. In Egypt, we got a life. But on the back side of the wilderness, tending someone else's flock for 40 years... For 40 years, Moses turns aside. See, it's hard to get us alone. It's hard to get us to listen. It's hard to get us to see the glory of God that is burning all around us. Maybe the true miracle in the story is not that the bush is on fire and does not burn up. Maybe the true miracle is that Moses has reached a point in his life where he is able to turn aside. Because the fact that the bush is on fire and burning with the glory of God should be nothing new. As the psalmist David said, the earth is God's and it is full of his glory. That God's glory is burning all around us. The question is whether or not you are capable of seeing it. There's a beautiful rabbinic tradition. There's a commentary surrounding this verse. And the rabbis say, maybe the beauty of the story is the fact that possibly the bush had been on fire the whole time. But it had taken Moses 40 years to be able to recognize it. Do you you see God at work all around you? Do you see God moving in your life? What takes 40 years for Moses to see? And it took 40 years of solitude 
in the backside of the desert to realize it. See, there's a phrase I've, I've learned to really hate in my life whenever I hear it. When I take my car into the mechanic, I, I hate to hear it. When a mom goes into labor and delivery, it's a phrase they just cannot stand. When the preacher preaches a little bit too long and your favorite restaurant is a little packed and they tell you this when you get there, you kind of hate to hear it. If anyone says amen, um, we're going to have some problems. We hate to hear it when we're waiting for the refund to come. We hate to hear it when we're trying to overcome an addiction that has gripped our life. We hate to hear it when we've been struggling with a marriage crisis and we make the decision to move forward. We hate to hear it when we're a new Christian and we're beginning this journey. That's a phrase I just don't like to hear, but it's this. This may take a while. This may take a while. Moses, I got some bad news for you. This may take a while. Turn to your neighbor and tell him this may take a while. 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 That that where you are now, and here's the good news, where you are now is not where you are going. But it's farther than where you began. But I've got to tell you, this may take a while. Mo- Moses, this may take 40 years in the desert taking care of someone else's sheep. Th- this may take life, not in the palace, but in the parched land, to realize what is at stake. This may take a while. And here, here's the, the, the bad news. is you didn't get to where you are overnight... And you cannot get out of it overnight. See, it may take a little while to develop that trust again in the relationship. It may take a little while for you to be able to love someone else again. It may take a little while for you to be vulnerable enough to be loved. It may take a little while to heal the wound that cuts so deep. It may take a little while to get over the loss. It may take a little while. It it may take a little while, but where you were is not where God wants you to be. Where you are is not where God wants you to be. See, we're so destination-minded that God wants to get us to a destination And as a culture, we are destination-minded. Here's where we are, here's where we want to be, but thank goodness God is not just the God of the destination, he is the God of the detour as well. See, See, here's the bad news, is the promised land isn't a straight shot from Egypt. We're going to take a little detour, Moses. We got stuff to do. And there's a couple of principles that we see here. First, Moses must first lead himself through the desert. 
before God ever calls him to lead Israel through the desert. Moses first must lead himself through the desert before God ever calls him to lead Israel through the desert. You remember at the very start we said the very, the very hardest person to lead? The very hardest person to lead that you will ever have to lead is yourself. You are the hardest person you will ever have to lead. See, and that's why I love talking about leadership to people. Because I can tell you principles and precepts, and it's yours to do with whatever you want. The responsibility falls completely on you. But when I talk about me and leading me, I'm the only one to blame. See, and here's the good news. It, it might be good news, it might be really bad news. But God will lead you to places you have not chosen to go in order to produce in you what you are incapable of achieving on your own. The Bible calls that grace. God will take you to places you did not choose to go in order to produce in you what you are incapable of producing on your own. And so Moses, we're going to spend 40 years on the backside of the wilderness preparing you. And what I believe, I don't believe he's preparing him to go. I believe he's preparing him to listen. He, he's getting him ready to hear his voice. He's getting him ready to move. See, if you want to find the burning bushes in your life, you must be able to turn aside. Jesus, in John chapter 15, speaking to his disciples, says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful that the cutting there's no way to avoid it if it's not producing fruit he says he cuts it off if it is producing fruit he cuts it back so that it will be even more fruitful there's no way to avoid the cutting but but the cutting the pruning the pain it has a purpose This may take a while. This may take a while, Moses. This may take 40 years on the backside of the wilderness because God does not call you to be fruitful. He called you to be faithful. And if you will be faithful long enough, you will be fruitful. Not because of what you can do, not because of your skills, not because of your abilities, but because of what God is doing in you. It is he who is the gardener. It is he who knows what you need. Maybe the shepherd is the one who has the ability to create margin in their life and turn aside to hear the voice of God. And so God speaks to Moses. And he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That is my purpose. That is why I have come. That is where I am taking you. And Moses responds not with, okay, I'm gone. Let's, let's do this. He responds with five excuses. He responds with five excuses. I'm not good enough. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He says, I don't have all the answers. God says, I, I'm sorry, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Again, the people, they won't believe me. What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Number four, I can't speak well. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. When he says pardon, he's not saying like, excuse me. He's saying like, let me go. Pardon me. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And then he says, I'm not qualified. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. But to every one of his excuses, God has an answer. I'm not good enough. God says, I will be with you. I don't have the answers. I am the answer. And I am will be with you. People won't believe me. Moses, what is in your hand? I will use what is in your hand to help them believe. I can't speak well. I will be your voice. I'm not qualified. Take Aaron, and he will be your mouth. See, I think we see the excuses as a nuisance to God. But I think God sees them as a necessity for Moses. I think he sees them as a necessity. And I think I understand what's going on in Moses' world. His past is popping up again. And what God saw in Moses was the possibilities of tomorrow. But all Moses could see was the pitfalls of the past. I need to tell someone today that you need to be really careful Because your past, it might be poisonous. It it might be killing you from the inside out. When I was in high school, we went on a camping trip in West Texas, and we were running along this trail, and as we got down towards the middle of the trail where it forked, we came to an abrupt halt because right in the center at this crossroad was this massive rattlesnake. And it was coiled up and it was ready to strike. And like smart high school boys, we wanted to get as close as we thought we could without getting bit. And thankfully, the brains of the operation, the adult that was with us, comes sprinting up to us as fast as he can. He says, get away, get away, get away. It's poisonous. Like like we knew what the snake was capable of. And it wasn't that the snake was a bad thing. But the snake had the possibility of poisoning us if we got too close to it, if we hung around it too long. 
And for some of you, you struggle so much to let go of what is behind. You struggle to let go of your past. And you've allowed your past to define you, but you need to get away from it because it can be poisonous. It can hurt you. It can do some serious damage to your soul. And when it's really difficult, it's when the past that we're talking about is not necessarily a bad thing, but a good thing. See, some of you want to live in the past because it was so good. And you constantly want to look over your shoulder and see what was. And you cannot see what God is doing ahead of you if you're constantly looking behind you. See, it's not that your past was bad, but nevertheless, it was your past. And the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to live there any longer. Because God, through Jesus on the cross, is constantly recreating you. He is constantly resurrecting you. He is constantly making you new. He constantly has good news that where you were is not where you have to be. But I got to tell you, this may take a while. See, the affair that you apologized for and you think, well, that, that should do it. It should be over. This may take a while. The marriage that's falling apart and we, we need to get it put back together, this may take a while. The trust that you lost because of life, this may take a while. Moses, this may take a while. But I am doing something inside of you that you are incapable of doing on your own. And the only place I was able to do this inside of you was when I took you off the stage and I took you to the backside of the desert because there you could be still and quiet long enough to hear me speak. And so he says, now go, I am sending you. Have you ever tried to help someone move away from their past? Because you look at it and you see that it's poisoning them. You see what it's doing to their life, whether good or bad, and you're trying to encourage them. And sometimes the thing we need to hear more than anything else is just exactly what God says to Moses. Go, I am sending you. Go, I am sending you away from this. You can leave this life and enter this new life. Go, I am sending you. You can't stay here. You you can't stay here. But understand, this may take a while. Go, I am sending you. You can't stay here because your past is poisonous but this may take a while. This may take a while, but you can't stay here. See, here's the difficulty of being a leader. Let me talk specifically to our shepherds, to those who may be shepherds at some point, and to us as we call men to be shepherds over this flock. 
See, here's the difficulty. You have a past. You have a past cluttered with moments that you are not proud of. And you can't change it. All you can do is move on from it. To let it go. To leave it where it belongs. Behind you. And so as these words we read this morning from Titus... Encouraging Titus to finish some work. And he says to him, Paul says to him, and think of it in these terms these are qualities, not qualifications. This is not an extensive list or a complete list. But what he does say is this is the kind of man we are looking for. He says, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appointed, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages his household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain, but rather he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. See, first, an elder is called by God to lead the people of God. And we're not calling people who are perfect by any means, because the last I checked, that's not really an option here. See, see we're, we're totally confused when a shepherd looks human. But there's no other place to get the pastors except from the pews. There's no place to get the shepherds except from the seats. And there's no place to fill the seats except from the world. And we look so confused when a shepherd lets us down. When a shepherd doesn't meet our expectations or doesn't do what we thought they should. But listen, they are imperfect just like you are. And hopefully, just like you, they are covered by the grace of Jesus Christ and the cross. And they are forgiven, and they are set free from their past, and it does not define them anymore. Yes, they are imperfect people. But the things that we see Paul calling Titus to look for are the things we want to look for as a church. Men who are upright and not constantly angry, men who love God and who have people who are following him in this church, in the Lord. Not not men who will one day be good elders 
or men who were deacons, and this is the next step, but men who are holy and love Jesus and trying to follow him, men who have been pruned, men who have led themselves through the wilderness and come out on the other side and can help lead us through the wilderness. See, it's the excuses from Moses that make me believe it's very possible to find these men here. Men who don't believe they have what it takes, but God wants to tell you, you do. Come and follow me. And there are going to be some people who need your help to lead them through the places you have already been. Father, this morning, I don't know where this message lands for different people. But Father, I pray that it would fill us with hope. And Father, I pray that in this story, we see the power of Jesus' resurrection. Resurrecting Moses from the dry and parched land. Resurrecting him from a palace. Father, simply to bring him to the place he wanted him to be. And Father, we believe that you want to use us for your purposes, but Father, that is not your main purpose with us. It is not to use us. It is simply to love us. And Father, we pray as we feel that embrace of your love, we would experience the life-changing power of the cross. And Father, that we would be set free from our past. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could pray for you this morning, we're going to have shepherds and staff around this auditorium. We would love to do that. If you need to enter into life in Christ, make this the morning that you enter the Tavah, who is Jesus, and come out on the other side made new. So whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.